Today, as we continue our series, I said to Gabe, I want to go out on a bang. I want to just talk about something light and, you know, just celebrate and encourage people. And Gabe said, mm-mm, mm-mm. You wanted to preach about heaven, hell, and hope. You wanted to talk about eternity. You are preaching on hell. So today, I'm preaching on hell. And I want to tell you why we're speaking about heaven and hell and hope is because I want to tell you in this life, perspective is everything. Yeah. It's just everything. And we are so wrapped up in the immediate and wrapped up in everything that comes now that when the Bible starts to push us, provoke us, and call us to live on an eternal and with an eternal perspective, we really struggle. Because everything in this life is about the here and now. So two weeks ago, I preached about heaven. I said that, that there's this promise of heaven, and it's, it's better than anything you can imagine. Well, the challenge is we also have to speak about hell. And I'll tell you why, but today is called Oh hell, there's an elephant in the room. I just couldn't come up with a better title. So that's what you got. Today is, oh hell, there's an elephant in the room. And, um, and the reason being this, you know, the elephant in the room is this kind of controversial, kind of major problem that people have dinner together, they just shove it in the corner, and no one says anything about it. We just, we just can't talk about it. For my family back in the day when my granny Joan was around, uh, every now and again she would flatulate at the dinner table. <laughs> it was a common thing that happened at our table, and it was an elephant in the room. No one could speak about it because it was controversial. We didn't want to dishonor granny, but it was that awkward moment. Sorry, we've all had that granny. If you haven't, I apologize, but that was, she was a character. But we just didn't talk about it. Maybe more current context, the elephant in the room is vaccine. We just have family dinners and we don't dare say any word that starts with the letter V. Don't even, like nothing. You can't, like, don't even, no, stop it. We just, we don't talk about it. Um, for our family as well, there was our wedding where um, my now mother-in-law and now future stepmother-in-law both wore the same outfit to the wedding. We don't talk about that at our family. And I hope none of them watch this preach today. Um, but, um, but, but there's this, there's nothing bigger in any room than the subject of hell. There just isn't. And whether, wherever you stand, it's, it's like, and people make statements like, yo, it's been a hell of a year, and we might throw these things around. I've been in Pafada in December where the tarmac was melting to the tires, and, and, and people use statements like, yo, this is a hell of a place. It doesn't even compare. And so the challenge is we go to extremes when teaching about the subject. And here are the extremes. One, we just say nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's just easier to not talk about the elephants in the room. Or we shout about it on street corners with badly hand-painted signs saying, Sinners going to hell. Bye-bye. And I'm telling you, neither of those are helpful. Neither of those, and, and earlier generations tend to get excited. Some of the most celebrated preachers were called uh, uh, amazing preacher with incredible truth in the preach, but sinners in the hands of an angry God was this famous preach that went out. I'm going, ah, I'm struggling. I can't say everything he said was wrong. That's the problem. Why? Because there's this forgotten doctrine in the Bible called hell. It's just a forgotten doctrine. They've done research in the States. 64% of Americans expect to go to heaven. Less than 1% believe they could go to hell. That there's even a reality or possibility of that. So we're dealing with a subject that is the elephant in the room, in every room. 
And so even today, I want to tell you it's important we preach about how because Jesus talked about it more than any other of the biblical authors. He spoke about it more. We need to speak about hell because it's important because it reveals to us how completely dependent we are on Jesus for his blood and for salvation. Completely, completely dependent. We, we've got to speak about hell because it's got to reveal. It's like the smelling salts that wake us up to our brokenness and sin that pull us into it. They've got to wake us up sometimes. If there wasn't a doctrine of hell, what wakes us up? Yes, it's the love of God. And it's the kindness of God that calls people to repentance. I know those scriptures, but there's also that... Wow, that's a reality check. And the doctrine of hell is important because it is also the only way to truly know how much Jesus loves us. You see, we can sing the songs because they sing nicely and Bunty sings them so nicely. But unless you get the revelation that Jesus took our hell on him, you'll never fully get the cross. If you never get the cross, you'll never get the gospel. You'll never live free and satisfied in Christ. So I want to put a couple ground rules, like when we read Revelations two weeks ago. I want to just have a couple ground rules, because I think it's important. Number one, we have to have the right attitude. What do I mean? Well, yes, the church needs to speak about hell. And I've said to people this week, I'm speaking about hell this week, and, and I've had differing responses. One person said, can you speak about it? I'm like, I think so. Pretty sure I can. It's in the Bible. But, but there was also this, like, good. The church must speak about, like, good. And I'm going, I don't want to. If I'm being brutally honest, there is no celebration in me speaking about hell. None. Why? Because the Bible says narrow is the road. As narrow as the cross. And when I come face to face with the reality, the smelling salts of my whole life, I'm going, ah, Hundreds of thousands and millions of people, real people, people that I love, maybe people watching online today. This is a reality. And so I think we need to have a Jesus heart with tears in our eyes as we speak. I think sometimes when you read the Jesus words, we read them with our attitude and not his. I need to take on a Jesus attitude and mindset at this time. Secondly, we have to face the challenge of the word. Don't challenge the word. We, Does it make sense? Face the challenge of the word. The word challenges us. But I don't get to challenge the word. I get to respond. I either get to believe and obey or I don't believe and I walk another way. But those are what you get to choose. You don't get to go, I'll go to Burger King. I'll have an upsize with a cola and I'll have big chips with this spice and I'll have this garnish on and I won't have this. We get so used to a world that gives us options. We think we have options when it comes to the God of heaven and his word. We don't. You got two options. Believe or don't believe. Those are the options. We got so used to a world, I'll have those sneakers with that color blue tick, and I'll have that base, and I'll have that, and we get so used to thinking that we determine everything. So we come to the Bible. I like generation, Genesis, <laughs> generations, great TV show, but I like Genesis. I like Genesis, but I'm not sure I like Leviticus. I like David and Kings, and I really like the Psalms, but I'm not so hot on the Proverbs because I, I think Internet and Google's got better wisdom. Uh, I'm not sure I like Paul because Paul dealt with character issues, and I'm not sure that God, Jesus just loves me. So I'm not going to really read Paul. I'm just going to read the letters of the Bible. When I read them, I'm just going to see how much he loves me. I'm not really going to read the Scriptures. Jesus speaks over and over again, ex- describing and explaining this thing called hell. 
And so we read the Bible like that, and we, and we don't take the challenge of the Bible. We start to challenge the Bible. I want to tell you that's not the mandate of anyone. Believe or don't believe. But we don't get to pick and choose. And I'm, I'm challenged in a world where everyone's got options. And I've got to tell you, there are a whole bunch of new religions. This is not going to be popular some, but I'm telling you, I read an article of a church with a transgender minister this week, and I'm telling you from my style, from this pulpit, that is not the same religion that I preach. The name Jesus can be mentioned. It can meet on a Sunday, and they can sing songs. But when I read the Bible, I only get to submit and say, I believe or I don't. And that is offensive to our world. And I'm okay with that offense because I believe. And the Bible says the gospel is offensive. And so I'm, I come today, but I also want to tell you this, that joy is found in the cross and not the alternative. I find no joy in preaching hell. None. Because I do not believe by preaching hell, I want to fear anyone into heaven. I don't think that's the agenda. When we preach hell or speak about hell or mention it, there is no agenda. I mean, ah, they haven't really got Jesus, but if they can just get really fearful of hell, maybe they'll run to him. I'm going, I don't think it works like that. And that's not why I want to preach about a subject. I want to preach about a subject like this because it's in the Bible. Because Jesus speaks about it. And because the church have to be aware with eyes open and realize there is a mission and a mandate. And we have to be pulled out of our comfortable, small lives, reminded that there is an eternity where this earth is this long and eternity is forever. We struggle with eternity. We make decisions in this life like they have massive implications. But when we understand that, that we've got to make decisions based on eternity and our belief system for eternity. So I'm going to say it again. I don't necessarily like preaching about hell. Is that okay? Are you okay with that? But the Bible says this, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I want to equip you for good work today. I'm not necessarily preaching up a storm that I prefer and enjoy, but I want to teach into a subject that Jesus spoke much about. I don't get to choose, and neither do you. Point number one, simple, in your face, really honest, hell is real. I don't know where you stand. If we had, before you walked in the room, someone said, do you believe hell's real? Uh, what, like the burning sulfur part? Ah. Uh, not so sure. Forever, not so sure. And I want to tell you, hell is real. Why? Because Jesus believed in hell. Your Jesus. Your loving Jesus. Your Jesus who got in the sand with his fingers and wrote to set that lady free. Your Jesus who laid hand. Your Jesus who spat in an eye. Your Jesus who is so full of love. Your Jesus spoke about hell. You've got to reconcile that. Because the Bible did. And... Uh, it's one of the rare points that Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox believers and evangelicals and any name you can get, we all kind of land there because the Bible doesn't actually give you any space. To not believe in hell actually is to not believe in Jesus because there's this inextricably woven fabric into the Christian faith of truth about an eternity in heaven with Jesus, the character of God, His goodness, His sacrifice on the cross, and also His presentation of Gehenna, Hades, however He presented in different language, and the reality of the afterlife. I want to read Jesus because I think 
The red letters in the Bible are important. When I make notes, I put them in green. I know Jesus is speaking. It goes like this. He's speaking about the rich man and Lazarus. It's a tough scripture to read. I'm not going to lie. Luke 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat from what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all of this between us and you get a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them, so that they will also not come to this place for torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father, Abraham, he said, But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent, he said to them. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. What do we learn from this passage? Yes, it's a parable. And yes, Jesus is presenting it and he's showing us. But there's also Jesus speaking and describing this place. In this text, he calls Hades. In the other text, he calls Gehenna. In other language. Well, we learn these things. The dead are still alive. They're still alive. Both Lazarus and the rich man survived their own funerals. We, we learn that the dead retain their personalities and the essentials of their character. In whatever the afterlife is. I don't know their life stories. I don't know the decisions they made before. I just know their realities now. And that's what I find in the story. That death marks the final separation between the saved and the lost. It seems to present that once in heaven, you're in heaven. And once in hell or Hades, there's no way to make that root happen again. Not the Tom and Jerry way. If you go back down and you get Jerry to sign a form for giving, you can come in. No, Jesus didn't present what Tom and Jerry did. Jesus presented that, that death marks the final separation between the saved and the lost. It's marked. It's not something that can be undone. He says that hell is a place of personal suffering. That you get to choose, make choices in this life. But after this life, there are implications of our choices. And one of them is what he describes and mentions, torment, suffering, agony. And, and the, those there, we see he's, the rich man's crying out for help, but help doesn't come and help will never come. There is no way back and there's no theology that backs it up or Bible that backs up that you can make that route happen. So what the rich man knew was there was no way out for him. He, he knew his brothers could avoid it, but he couldn't get a message to them. He needed someone to warn them. This has to push us into evangelistic fervor. This is not our, yes, I've got my fire insurance for a house. Sorry for you, world. Please, that's not the gospel that I preach. This has to push us onto the front foot and remind us that there's a lot at stake. A lot. 
and we should be full of fervor to preach it. Point number two, I've got three points. I need to go quickly. Number two, hell is horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. Many people speak about going through hell, and it's this term that expresses this kind of gravity of a really bad situation. Well, Jesus doesn't only just reference hell. He describes it in great detail. Let me tell you how he details it. He says it in Luke 16, a place of eternal torment. In Mark 9, unquenchable fire. In Mark 9, he says the worm does not die. He says in Mark 13, in Matthew 13, people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret. A place from which there is no return even to warn loved ones. He calls it a place of outer darkness and compares it to Gehenna, which was a rubbish dump, a trash dump outside of the walls of Jerusalem where everything that was dead got dumped and the worms came and consumed. He says, no, the worms won't ever be finished here. Which leads me to point number three. Hell is forever. Heaven is eternal. Hell is forever as well. Some of there the are these, these voices that are shouting in the church that it's immoral to have this forever pain and suffering. It's immoral. It's wrong. And I want to agree with them. I want to go on a, a voice of annihilism. There's a, 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 a doctrine of a, annihilization, which means that God will ultimately just go woof and heaven will exist in hell no more. And yet the Bible doesn't actually present that, guys. So I can tell you, it sounds like a nice story. My opinion doesn't matter. What matters is the Bible. And the Bible says this in Matthew 25, then they will go to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I want to tell you again, you don't get to challenge it. You just get to believe or not believe. I've got my 12-year-old son sitting there listening to this now. He's got to make decisions on what he believes. And his world is shouting at him, that doesn't sound like a loving God. In Mark 9, Jesus offers a very graphic description of hell. It says, if your, your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's this hyperbolic language because he's trying to get the message across. It says, it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their, worms, their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. I would love to tell you there's this moment come up with an ideology that God judges, woof, heaven's gone, everyone's put at peace, and we carry on in heaven singing hallelujah, hallelujah. It's not what the Bible says. I'm a Bible preacher. I'm not a Christian moralistic preacher. Which means even if I don't necessarily like the message, I still got to preach it. And I got to make a decision on what I believe, day or night. A place of eternal torment. But here's my final point. And it's probably the most important. Hell doesn't have to be your home. It just doesn't have to be. And when I'm sitting with someone who's choosing roads of brokenness and rebellion to God and chaos, I'm saying hell doesn't have to be your home. I'm not just sitting celebrating while well, you're choosing that path. Sorry for you. I'm going this way. When the Bible says love your neighbor, it says love them so much, you'll fight and you'll live a life and you'll keep laying life, you'll down your life and keep losing to win in every aspect of life. Why? So that they can see Jesus and enter into eternity with Him. How can I accept the justice of hell? The only way I can accept the justice of hell, because I'm a rational man. You know that? Sometimes preachers present themselves like irrational, that is just nuts. And sometimes they are. But I can accept it because God is true to his promise of salvation. It's the only reason. I can't accept it if I don't truly believe in salvation and the power of salvation. 
but I can accept it if I believe there is a way and God is faithful to every promise. And because he's faithful to every promise, his heart is wide open for every child of God to come home. Again, I'm not a big fan of standing on the street corner shouting, you're going to hell. And this group of society and this, you're going to hell with really bad painted signs behind them. I honestly don't think that's helping the gospel. I really don't. going to just be brutal. Maybe you've done it. Preaching hell should not leave me indifferent. It should leave me single-minded and focused that my life is here for a reason. That every person I touch and encounter might encounter the love of God. Not the fear of hell. The love of God. Hell is a necessary doctrine to be preached and taught to the church and reminded as the smelling salts wake us up to the reality of eternity. But I preach a gospel of the love of God that God so loved the world. God didn't so hate hell or want to send people to hell. God so loved the world that he gave his son. That's why he did it. That's why the gospel exists. That's why we live. That's why we preach. That's why we give. That's why we are different in this world because our God so loved the world. And he gave us this commission, Matthew 20. And Jesus came up, spoke to him saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command. And lo and behold, and surely I will be with you always to the very end. He gives us this commission with the knowledge that there is hell, a doctrine, a, a Jesus who spoke about it, but he also said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Come to the Father through me. Come. He's not saying you and you and you. Come. He's saying, come. Come. He tells the parable of the invitations that go out to the street corners. Saying, come. And they didn't come. And his heart was broken. He said, you come. You come. You come. Our invitation to the world is one of come. Not, you don't know how bad hell's going to be. Our invitation and our message, you don't know how good heaven's going to be. With Jesus, every day, every hour, every minute. And two things I know as I preach this message and my heart breaks. I've really struggled. One thing I know, the first thing, I deserve hell. I deserve it. You don't know the thoughts that have gone through my mind sometimes. In a worship session. And sometimes I forget that. I forget the 15-year-old with all sorts of thoughts going through his crazy mind, standing at church, saying, Jesus, I love you, but yosh, she's hot. Are we allowed to be that honest? Jenny remembers that 15-year-old naughty kid at church. I, I deserve hell. I am not intrinsically good. I was born with sin in my story because of my forefather, Adam. That's what the Bible says, guys. It's not a made-up story and you're not going to find it on Google. The Bible says that. I'm born intrinsically evil with sin in my story. I deserve condemnation. I deserve hell. But I'm so grateful that there's something else I believe to even greater measures. A, a truth, a second truth that is greater is that I'm going to heaven because of one thing and one thing alone, Jesus Christ and His blood. 
poured out for me and poured out for you and poured out for every single person who would say, Jesus, says today you'll be with me in paradise. So as we preach and we teach about hell, if you are a believer, there has to be only two responses. One, gratitude. Gratitude. Not, mm, I knew it. I knew it was bad. I didn't know it was that bad. Mm. No, gratitude. And secondly, activation of the spiritual man and woman that's come alive inside of you, the son and daughter of the living God with a story to tell about the love of an eternal Savior. That's our response. But if you're watching today or you're here in the room today and you haven't made that decision and you aren't sure, here's what I want to take away from you. You can't take the Bible and pick and choose. We've all done it. But we can't. Romans says this, it's the kindness of God that leads us to the repentance and ultimately salvation, not the fear of hell. Have you encountered the kindness of God? Believe it. Have you encountered the kindness of God? My wife got saved at a show in the 90s called Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. It's like we're going to give them both and just hope one of them gets them. We're going to give them the flames and we're going to give them the gates and maybe one of them will call them. And it worked. I'm grateful for the show. But I just get to preach Jesus. I'm not preaching hell. I'm teaching a doctrine of the Bible that is in the Bible, a doctrine of hell. But I get to preach Jesus, His love, His grace, His passion for you, your story, and your eternity with Him. Being terrified of punishment is not the answer. Being overwhelmed by His grace, His goodness, and His kindness is. We love you. We preach the Bible and we teach the Bible not because it's necessarily our preference. We teach the Bible because it's what Jesus says. We're going to keep doing that. Why? Because in a world of shifting and shaping every day, no one really knows what's going on. There's one thing that doesn't change. The Word of God that is pure, like silver melted down pure. It'll hold us. Don't necessarily have to like it and love every detail. But you've got to make a decision. Who's Jesus? What is eternity? And how will I live my life?